This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So another great big giant good morning. Great to have all of you folks here today. And we're going to be talking part two of our series on perfection. Looking at perfection, and I want to be clear, and I said this last week, but I want to say it again. I wouldn't want anyone to hear this as me saying doing things well is a bad idea. You know, doing things well, continuous improvement, like looking for things in our life, idealized forms that we move towards is really important. But as we said last week, as Thich Nhat Hanh said, The North Star is a great thing to navigate towards. Just don't ever expect to arrive there. And I think that's true. It's something that we navigate towards and we continually endeavor towards. Like, how can our lives be be filled with more and more meaning over time? I think that's a beautiful way to kind of hold life. And perfection can also have a dark side. Could I get an amen on that one? Yes, it has a dark side. Some people have written about it beautifully. This is how Father Richard Rohr writes about it. Perfection gives the impression that by effort I can achieve wholeness separate from God. And that's that's sort of the private salvation project that we we can get encumbered by. From anyone else or from connection to the whole. It appeals to our individualism and our ego. It's amazing how much of Christian history sent us on a self-defeating course toward private perfection. Union is instead about forgiveness, about integration, about patience, about compassion. The experience of union creates a very different kind of person. In a very different, I would put out there, a very different definition of perfection. One that's actually closer allied to the Bible. Closer allied to the words we see used when it comes to to what perfection actually is. Now to get us warmed up with this topic, I want to go out in the audience and ask this question. What are the inevitable self-defeating outcomes of trying to be perfect? All right, just just to get us kind of warmed up. I'm going to come out there with the audience. First-time attendees don't need to worry. I will not be putting a microphone in your face. But if you have an answer, yeah, you know, I see this as kind of the self-defeating part of it. Please share, just so we can kind of get warmed up to those ideas. So, let's get a couple of answers out there. Not that this is from personal experience or anything. Uh, When I'm trying to do something perfectly, I spend most of my time thinking, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? And I miss the whole experience and the people around me. Am I doing it right and am I serving are two very different questions. You get one desk drawer clean instead of the whole room clean. (laughs) Right, right, right. That's that's really good. We get so narrowly focused just on this, this one little thing that we miss the bigger picture. And oftentimes we miss the people in the bigger picture. Not trying the thing in the first place, knowing that I won't be able to do it perfectly. Yeah, keep passing it on down. You you know, that idea, we we don't try it. How many of us have done that? We've not done something because we're sure... You know, Brene Brown had a great one. She was talking about her daughter wanting to do a sport. And she said, you know, part of me wanted to make sure she'd gone to every camp and was guaranteed a starting varsity spot before she did it. Is that going to work well as a parent? No. Well, I have been going to say that if you're doing one thing perfectly, you're ignoring a ton of other things. 
And then it was said so perfectly about one drawer clean and the rest are dirty. <laughs> right, so, right. Yes. right. Oh, that's so good. So you want to pass that back here. This is like the big baton pass here. So can I tell you folks a little story from behind here? So with, with, that, with that one drawer, I remember I was in charge of it. I was a housing administrator. And I went through the drawers, the boys' drawers, and over years, they had written all kinds of really bad comments in the drawers and magic marker and stuff. So I was coming around as my sanctimonious self with, with contact paper to put over the top of all these bad words and everything. And one of my people who was working for me was sitting at his desk. I said, oh, I need to do this. I pull open the drawer, and there in the middle is Chuck Blair 1983. I think a big one is burnout. Burnout. You want to say a little more about that? You try so hard to be perfect at your job, or maybe you're painting something, and it takes you forever, and you're exhausted. And you look around, and... People look relaxed and they're all burned out. <laughs> right, right, right. Very good. So, so, folks, is burnout a good idea, yes or no? No, it's a bad idea. Please give one more. In surgery, always, in surgery, we always say the enemy of good is perfect. Yes. You actually muck it up by trying to make it perfect. Yeah. And good was good enough. Good was good enough. And that, and that piece, folks, like good and perfect being two different things. You know, God made the world. And he made the world, say it with me, folks. He made the world, begins with G, ends with Ud. He made the world good. Did he use the word perfect there? No. Right from the very beginning of the Bible, that's baked right in. The good and perfect are different things. Please give everyone a round of applause. So when we look at this, let me put my mic back here. When we look at these pieces, I think that perfectionist is so important to have a conversation around because we don't want to live in that place. Like our lives tend to contract if we try to do things perfectly. You know, again, as somebody said, we try less and less. We notice less and less. Our our lives sort of come in. And yet there's these wonderful examples of people who sort of gave up perfect. I mean, some of them are kind of silly but fun. Could I show you a silly fun one? All right. Who's that guy? Who knows? That's Jim Thorpe. This is right after he won a gold medal in 1912. What's goofy about that picture, folks? His socks. What happened right before the race is somebody stole his shoes and socks. So look at it closer. And the dude won. And he won. That, that's that kind of like embracing imperfection. Embracing imperfection. And continuing to move on. And moving on, folks, because of this. This is what I really want to, want to pivot on in this service. Moving on because there's a higher purpose. All right, let's sort of play with our voices once. I'm going to cue you here, purpose and purpose. I want you to say purpose with a capital P and then purpose with a small p. Ready? The first one. Purpose. Good. Now let's say purpose. Purpose. All right? It's not that it's one against the other. I don't want to set up a binary here. But I want to talk about what that deeper purpose is and how it can work in our lives. And why it's so important where that we not choose perfection over purpose, but we actually choose purpose over perfection. I'm going to step over here and tell you another little story. 
So this story dealt with two phone conversations I had this week. And they were both wonderful phone conversations. One of them was from a parishioner who went with his family down to St. Francis Inn for the first time. And was so excited, they called me to tell me about it. It was a beautiful conversation. You know, Chuck, I was down there and there's people. And I'm like thinking, I know there's people. You know, and there's all these people down there. And, and, and then this guy, he comes up to me and he, he puts his arm around me. And he says, like, thank you for being here. And I'm like, no, thank you. Purpose or purpose? That's the big purpose. He stepped into it just for a minute. And as a pastor, there's few things more beautiful. You realize how beautiful that is? How beautiful that is when somebody steps into what their true purpose is? The glory of God is the person fully alive. The glory of God is the person fully alive. And then I get a call from Maine, Matt Pennington. How many of us know Matt? Matt's a wonderful young man. He's spoken here a number of times. He's a vet, uh, a decorated vet. And, and he's all excited because he's there. Chuck, is there any chance I could, I could help you guys plant a vegetable garden for the homeless in the back, in the backyard of New Church Live? And I'm thinking, is this a trick question? You know, he's all excited and he lives in Maine about doing this. And he's going to volunteer one of you to do it. But, you know, that's, that's kind of like the cool part. See, is that purpose or purpose? Which is it? It's purpose. It's purpose. See, none of those things, folks, Beth's thing, uh, St. Francis Inn, garden boxes in the backyard, none of that happens if we're just consumed with doing things perfectly. If I'm sitting at home and I'm thinking I've got to arrange my life perfectly, I've got to dress perfectly, I've got to speak perfectly, I've got to do perfectly. As my dear buddy Rob said, what you do is then you are perfectly welcome to just stay at home. Because that's what we end up doing. We don't move out of it. To actually embrace life, embrace purpose, we have to move past this concept of perfection into a much healthier view of what these words actually mean. Now the Bible uses perfect a lot. But it uses it in a very different sense. And I want to read for you a story, and you'll hear the word, and then I'm going to sort of talk about what the words mean. This is from Genesis 17, for those of you who are following along at home. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. And by the way, that, that 99, I mean, that tells you right here we're talking about a poetic thing. We're talking about a poetic understanding of this. Think of that as an age of wisdom. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me. And be perfect. I will confirm my covenant between you and me and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. Abrahamic religions are Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. For I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I'll make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. This whole land where you are now an alien, where you are now a foreigner, I will give you. And think of that as, as your life, like really inhabiting your life. I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. 
I love this line here. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be beautiful line. And I love that idea. Like, we're just going to look at that first part with the next slide. Just this little clip of this. Walk before me. Walk before me. Can I tell you one of my favorite passages of the Bible? It's just such a beautiful one. And you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whether you turn to the right or the left, you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. That walk before me, that's that idea, that incredibly beautiful idea that, that we're to actually walk in front of God, which is kind of cool. It's not like God is barking orders and saying, you got to follow exactly what I do. It's like God saying, no, walk before me. I think about times with our kids when they were younger. And remember that time when you were like a, a, a young, young, young person and actually buying something at the counter was terrifying? Please tell me I wasn't the only one who was terrified buying things at the counter. I remember being terrified by that. And then walking through our kids, going through that same experience and just be like, here's the money. You go on up, you buy it. I'll be right here. You see, I think that's what God's talking about. Like, here's your life, here's your talent, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to be watching. I'm right here if you need me. Go. Go. Also, walking before me, when we were talking about this in sermon writing team, one of the people you know, said, well, what does this mean? And one of the people on sermon writing team, well, it's simple. God has your back. All right, that works too. You know, that idea that God has our back at all times. And what is the deeper meaning here? What's the deeper point that's trying to come across? New Church, we believe, again, that this is a poetic conversation. This is it's a beautiful form of poetry that we look at it, and it's not just talking about walking across a particular geography. It's about walking through the geography of our lives. In Emmanuel Swedenborg, this is what he says. He says the deeper meaning here of this very phrase is walking a life of love. We want to walk before God. That means we're going to walk a life of love. And then that begs the question, well, what exactly does that mean? And, and New Church Theology goes on to say, well, this is it's in its simplest form what it means to walk that life of love. Very simple passage. He has shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly, very basic, very core. I, you know, I was talking with someone, and I, I think this is so important, like, like compass and maps. We've talked about that a lot in here. This is one of those compass statements. It's not a map. It's not going to tell you exactly what your map looks like, but it is going to give you a true north. If I can just do these things, if I just, even if you're feeling incredibly lost today, if you're here with a broken heart, if you're here unsure, just think, okay, today, all I need to do today is to act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Just those small little things. Now, as the band comes out, as the band comes out here for a middle song, 
I want you to think just what's it going to take to live like that? Like what does it take to live that way? Because sometimes what's simple isn't always easy. And what does it take to move away from those forms of perfection that actually get in the way and to embrace more and more the bigger purposes of life? I love that question, right? What's it going to take? Like, what's it going to take to live this way? And, and I, I think when we look at that and we look, what's it going to take? It's important to remember that with everything, there's a sacred yes and a sacred no. There's those things that we're striving for. And it means that we have to get other stuff out of the way. We have to get other stuff out of the way. So let's just take a look at what maybe some of the work might be. The work around walking a life of love. The first, act justly. Let's say act justly together. Ready? Act justly. Well, who aren't you treating fairly right now? Please think specifically who it is. I'm not going to pass the microphone around. But, but really think of precise language with that. Like, who are you right now really not treating that fairly? The second one, please say those two words there. Love mercy. Again, I love the idea that, that mercy in Hebrew comes back to sort of this connotation of womb-like mother love. Love mercy. Oh, and this is one that I need to work on. Who are you punishing right now? Through your absence, silence, gossip, or anger. You know, it makes you squirm a little bit. Then. <laughs> you know, we have to ask that question. Like, who are we punishing right now? And in what ways are we punishing them? And just be clear about that, that it's, it's hard to really love mercy if you're living in a place of absence, silence, gossip, and anger. Hard to do. And then the next one. Please say it, folks. Walk humbly. Where are you trying to over-control a situation or purpose? Or person, sorry. Where is your judgmental, and I think this is real important, where is your judgmental certainty far outstripping your gracious curiosity. I think a lot of the time, and I say this often, we don't think of curiosity as a moral virtue. I actually think it is. Don't lie, cheat, steal, and make sure you're curious. Curiosity opens up a whole lot of life. It opens us up to even ask these questions. It opens us up to, you know, I love that one about the desk, to think there may be life beyond just this one drawer. It opens us up in many, many ways. So we have to learn to embrace curiosity. And now for that second part. So we've looked, okay, what is it like to, when God says, like, I need you to walk in front of me, with me in front of me, to, to do those things. And then God uses this interesting word. He says, be perfect. Be perfect. And what does that mean? I love the way that, what that word actually means in Hebrew. It means whole, in integrity, sincere. The word integrity in Latin means woven together. And I especially love that word sincere. If you're, if you're walking with someone perfectly, if you're walking with God perfectly, and you have a very sincere relationship, does that mean you're able to tell God it's a bad day, yes or no? Yes. Sincerity is an awful lot like the word authenticity. Think about that. Think about perfection as authenticity. 
is a sincere walking with people. Blessed, broken, shared, all those things we talk about all the time. That, that is how the Bible defines perfection. Much better definition, I think, than what we might hold to. So maybe this, folks, maybe this is one way we can hold this. Maybe this is one way we can think of this. The perfect plan might just be a quiet acknowledgement that for God, there is always a bigger plan, a purpose beyond our purpose. I want to say that again. The perfect plan might just be a quiet acknowledgement that for God, there is always a bigger plan, a purpose a bit beyond our purpose. So our job is to choose purpose over perfection, welcoming God's journey as ours. There's, there's a way in which, and this is, this is hard to get across, there's a way in which one of the things I, I battle with a lot, I imagine a lot of you do as well, is this idea that, that somehow I'm completely separated out from God. And that I've got my perfect plan and God's got his plan and somehow the two don't agree. And more and more, as Richard Rohr would say, you know, it's about this this coming together, this, this bringing these things together. Where we see our individual lives really as waves on the ocean. Now each wave is beautiful and unique and powerful. And does each wave have the ocean in it, yes or no? Yes. Each wave does. And we can start to see that, and we can start to see that some days are stormy and some days aren't. I feel like that kind of settles us in to the kind of purpose that allows us to actually reach out there very powerfully into the world. And as we do that, folks, don't don't expect it to, to all come easy. Like, I really think, like, in my mind, I go through like, God, if I could just do this religion thing, all of a sudden I'd have no tension in my life. <laughs> Is that going to ever happen? No. No. Because some days are dark. You know, I go out on a morning walk every time before I preach, and just to have some prayerful time, and a beautiful sunny day, right? And there's a stake in the ground, and the sun is just perfectly aligned, so the stake's just working like a sundial. And I thought... Sundials work great when it's sunny. (laughs) But is it sunny every day? No, and that sundial eventually isn't useful at that moment, especially when times of our life are dark. And at those moments, listen carefully here. Perfect is what we can be for each other. Perfect is what we can be for each other. Another beautiful Old Testament line, incredibly powerful. They actually have a movie title based on it. This prophet and his mentor. A mentor, by the way, quick definition of mentor. A mentor is somebody who can see a brighter future than you can see yourself. And, and this, these two prophets are together, and it's sort of a passing off to this younger prophet who's going to grow and become a very powerful prophet. But the younger prophet's deeply nervous, feels he can't do it. And these are the words of the older prophet that he gives to them. Perfect. As in people and understanding people. And understanding perfect is what we can be for each other. Then Elijah prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, the young prophet. And he saw. 
And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Such a beautiful image. He's, he's stuck. He's at the edge of something. And he's unsure how to go forward. And, and here's this mentor going like, look, what you have to remember as you try to go through your life, as you try to find that purpose, is again, see perfection in the people who are behind you. Understand that is perfection, that, that connection, that ministry of presence, that being witness. Powerful stuff. I want you to see now how Maya Angela. I want you to see how she would explain it. Take a look at this video. There's an African American song, 19th century, which um, is so great. It says, "When it looked like the sun." Wasn't going to shine anymore. God put a rainbow in the clouds. Imagine. And I've had so many rainbows in my clouds. I had a lot of clouds. But I have had so many rainbows. And one of the things I do when I step up on a stage, when I stand up to translate, when I go to teach my classes, when... I go to direct a movie. I bring everyone who has ever been kind to me with me. Black, white, Asian, Spanish-speaking, Native American, gay, straight, everybody. I say, come with me. I'm going on the stage. Come with me. I need you now. Long dead. You see? So I don't ever feel I have no help. I've had rainbows in my clouds. And the thing to do, it seems to me, is to prepare yourself so that you can be a rainbow in somebody else's cloud. Somebody who may not look like you, may not call God the same name you call God, if they call God at all. You see? And may not eat the same dishes prepared the way you do. May not dance your dances or speak your language. But be a blessing to somebody. That's what I think. I want to be able to speak like that when I grow up. <laughs> How did she do that? I mean, just amazing. Let me read these words to you again. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. He saw him. Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. And I could add rainbows all around Elisha. See, there's a way in which, folks, despite how hard we work it, that our lives will never end up perfectly. They're not going to follow the plans that we have so carefully curated and laid out. And despite all that, there's this blessedness around the fact that we get to do it together. That we get to do it with a God, a gracious, loving God, who says, I have your back. The no matter whatness love of God, not the one more false moveness of an imagined God. And not only that idea that we can have an image of a God who has our back as we move forward towards purpose, 
but that as well, God has given us people in our lives who can be those rainbows in our clouds and who we can be rainbows too. And here's the question for you. Does that sound perfect? Yeah. That's perfect. That's authenticity. That's integrity. That's our lives woven together. That's what God desires for us. So as we go forward in this week, simple task for you. Just be a rainbow in someone's cloud. And if you're struggling this week, just look for those around you who are rainbows in your cloud. Find God there. Know God as your back. Have a great week. Have a great week. So with that, I want to close the service with a prayer. You'll have a chance to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it, your own prayer to God as you'd like to say it, or just a moment of quiet meditation. So please join me. So Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. And Lord, help us to have faith. Faith is the eye of love. Faith that understands different ways of perfection, not a perfection as in plans, but a perfection as in process. But in the end, Lord, what we know in our deepest, deepest inner memory, Lord, remind us of this this week over and over again. But life is good, hard, challenging, broken, difficult, chaotic, and good. Allow us, Lord, to live in that space. Allow us, Lord, to be rainbows in each other's clouds and for that to work the other way as well. Allow us to see those chariots of fire, the sky alive with your grace and your compassion reflected through your beloved creations, your humanity. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for the fact that we could gather today. Thank you for the beauty of those in this room. Thank you for life. Thank you for love. In your name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.